Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 27, and this is our sermon text for this morning as well. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And let's pray asking God to bless the preaching of his word. Dear Lord, we are already filled with joy this morning to be brought into your presence by the living hope we have in Jesus. May you make your word clear to us this morning as we lean into it, seeking to understand these words spoken by Job, words ultimately spoken by you as you led him along by the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we lean into these words, we we pray simply that you would show us Jesus. Show us our risen Savior. Give us hope in his name. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope grows in dark places. Faith thrives in, the, in, in that fire of suffering, the crucible of suffering. And this is a truth that we know, um, not only from our own lives, but, but from the lives of many others throughout history. I'll give you just a few examples. Think of Martin Luther in fifth. In uh, 1527, Wittenberg, Germany, a plague swept across the city. The streets were, were full of piles of people who had died. Luther's own family was afflicted. And he found himself in deep despair, in deep depression. Imagine being a pastor during that time and just seeing death everywhere. And and much like our time, people are isolated and and push themselves away from others. And so here's Luther saying, what can I do? What is my hope? And he pens those famous words, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. A fortress he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And you hear those words and you think they sound awfully confident. They, They sound awfully sure. And yet think about this. They were written by a man who was looking death in the face. Hope grows in dark places. I'll give you another example. Think of the spirituals that that rose out of the cruel circumstances of American chattel slavery. Think of the, 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 the spiritual songs and the hymns Roll, Jordan, roll. Roll, Jordan, roll. I want to go to heaven when I die to see old Jordan roll. You hear those words, you think they sound awfully confident. They sound awfully sure. They're full of hope. And yet look at the circumstances. Cruelty, 
slavery. Here in our passage today, we see hope growing in a dark place. We see three, uh, faith thriving in the fire of suffering because we see hope expressed from an ash heap. Here is Job. If you know much about Job, you know he is a sufferer. He suffers all the time throughout this book, this very long book. And chapter 19 is his lowest point, the darkest moment. Unimaginable suffering. Satan has stripped away his loved ones. Of course, Job doesn't know the backdrop of what's happening in, in the divine courts of heaven, that God is in control of all this. And, but, but what he sees is that his children died in a tragic accident. His home is knocked to the ground in, rub, in rubble. And then to make matters worse, Satan has robbed him of his health. Job is a skeleton of a man. He is as close, close to death as it comes. And, and when people see him, they think, wow, this poor afflicted guy, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He must have done something awful to deserve this. His wife, even his wife, she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And here he sits, scraping his oozing sores on top of this ash heap that was his home. But it's from that dark place, it's from the ash heap that Job's Easter anthem rises. She starts to come out like a confident song. I know that my Redeemer lives. It's like this little sprig of green grass that's that's shooting up small, but certainly from this wasteland all around. That's what this is. And so as we hear this confident expression of hope, even in the midst of darkness and suffering, we too can say, okay, how can those words fall on my lips? How can I have hope in troubled times? How can I have hope when the fear of death, the constant reminders of death and suffering are all around me? Here's what we learn. When the darkness closes in, look to your Redeemer. Look to him with confident assurance. Let's look at this message by, by seeing the, the, the distinct threads that weave together in Job's wonderful, powerful confession. And first, this is the first confession that we really need to hear ringing in our ears this Easter morning. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Do you ever long for an advocate? You ever wish you had someone who would speak up for you? Someone who will speak words in your favor when no one else will, when everyone else is just silent. Job longed for that because his counselors, at this point, there's three of them and they've come alongside him. Hey, we'll help you out, Job. But, But the more they see this guy suffering, the more they become miserable counselors. And then his closest friends and family have rejected Job as a sinner. But here's the worst thing of all. He cries out to God for help, but all he hears is this deafening silence. He says, where, where are you, God? 
I'm suffering. Won't you plead for me? Won't you answer me? What have I done wrong? And here's the worst part. As all of this sinks in, death is looming over Job. He sees in his own body how close to death he is. And so he says, oh, that my words were inscribed in a book. If I could just write out my case in a book that that I could pass on forever. If I could write it on my tombstone. And yet, even if I do those things, books can be burned. Tombstones can fade. And so Job says, if only there were someone, someone who who could be my umpire, who could defend me before God. Can you relate to that? Maybe you can. If you carry the scars of abuse, if you know the sting of betrayal from those who you counted on, you know, if you, if you feel that gut punch of injustice, then you know what I'm talking about. Where are you, God? You, you, you know that question. Will someone speak up for me? Will someone defend me? And so you wish you were in one of those courtroom scenes that you see in the movies where right at, the, right at that opportune moment, all of a sudden, someone sweeps in, some hero, to, to plead before the judge and defend you and to make your case. If only we had that kind of a person. If only we had a friend who would plead for justice from on high long after we're in the grave and we can't defend ourselves. If only we had a third party who could step in and make our case after our lips stop moving and we can't defend ourselves. Could that kind of person actually exist? And that's where Job's amazing hope shines through. He says, yes, yes. Such a person can exist. He does exist because there is a redeemer, my redeemer. Now, what is a redeemer? Throughout the Old Testament, there was a role, a person filled called a kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer is the closest family member you've got who was assigned to be your personal advocate. Think of the book of Ruth and how Boaz is called upon to be the kinsman redeemer for this family after they have been reduced to poverty and nothing and after Ruth has been widowed. The kinsman redeemer is the guy who steps in to defend you when you're powerless. The kinsman redeemer is the guy who preserves your name after you've died. The kinsman redeemer is the one who helps you when no one else will. Job says, I've got that kind of redeemer. I know I've got it. But that's not all. He says, I have a redeemer. I have a kinsman redeemer, but he is a living redeemer. He's able, because he lives, to speak for me after I am in the grave. He's able to plead my case when when my lips have stopped moving. Now, who on earth could this be? This is Jesus Christ. And this is amazing because you say, wait, you're telling me that Job, one of the earliest books written in the Bible, 
looked down the corridors of time and saw Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, I don't know what he was saying, but I know that because the Lord, because this is the inspired word of God, because Christ says that all the scriptures are about me, this is about Jesus. I don't know how specifically Job saw this promise coming true, but he was beholding the Savior from afar. That much we know. That much we know that these words are about the true Redeemer, your Redeemer, my Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Think about how he is your living Redeemer. He retrieves you when you are lost. The Son of God took on flesh. God himself became man, became your closest living relative so that he could could redeem you from your lost place, from your suffering place. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so this is how he was your kinsman redeemer. He purchased you back from your lost place by laying down his own life at his very expense, he retrieved you. And now, having won you back to himself, he vindicates you. He defends you before God. Now think about how he does this because this is what's so amazing. What is Job saying in his book? He's saying, Lord, I'm innocent. I want someone to to step up and and to defend me. But Jesus says, I'll do something better than that because no man is truly innocent before God. But Jesus is. And so Jesus steps forth to defend God, to defend us before God. He vindicates us. He says, defend my innocence, Lord. But, but, but he just doesn't, Jesus doesn't just point at our faltering, faithful, our faltering faithfulness. Jesus points at his very faithfulness. He defends you with his own righteousness. And as he does, as he does that, he casts out the accuser from the divine courts. He inscribes your name forever in the Lamb's book of life. He lives on after you to intercede for you before that very throne of heaven. Listen to Hebrews 7. Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now think about that. Think about what a wonderful comfort that is. A, like a glimpse of hope in the midst of darkness. That you have this very Redeemer who because, because he lives now and forever, he is always before the throne of God to plead for you. Not just because you have suffered unjustly, but because you have sinned before God and he clothes you with his very righteousness. Now let that promise, let that hope strengthen your faith in the midst of fearful times. So Job says, my redeemer lives. But he says more than that. 
Because Job takes this hope in a redeemer to a next level. Look at verse 25. He says, I know that my redeemer lives and at the last day he will stand upon the earth. Now, here's the second confession that comes in. It comes in in these words. My redeemer lives and now my conqueror stands. My conqueror stands. Now, what's Job looking for? He's not just looking for any redeemer. Not just a redeemer who lives to plead before God with his very righteousness. He's looking for a warrior. He's looking for one who is a victor. He's looking for the last man standing. And you know what I'm talking about? Maybe kids. You know, if you're, you ever wrestled with your siblings, the winner is the one who gets to stand at the end after, after the, you know, your, your brother tumbles to the ground. Or think of a boxing match. Who's the last man standing? He's the one who's still standing when the others have fallen to the ground at the end of the match. And so Job is looking for this kind of redeemer, for someone who can plant their feet firmly on the dust of the earth in a victory stance. Because you see, it's not enough for this redeemer just to plea before God for us. Because as long as death holds us in its grip, someone can always say, if God really loved you, if he really cared about you, then death wouldn't hold you down. And so if this redeemer's truly going to vindicate us, he's got to destroy death itself. He's got to free us from the bonds of the grave. He's got to trample over that grave with his feet. So once again, Job speaks words that are amazing. How could he have spoken these words, which are so true of Christ, our Redeemer? He saw it from afar, but now we see it up close in the gospel account that you have even heard read this morning. Christ is this conqueror. He is the last man standing. You know, that's what resurrection means. It's it's two Greek, it's, it's, It's a combination of two Greek words that mean to stand again. Stand again. And on the third day, Mary Magdalene ran to the tomb and she found Job's Redeemer standing again upon the earth, posed in a victory stance over his own grave. And he says in Revelation chapter one, listen to these words. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's victory. That's a champion. Those are the, that's the victory speech of a champion. It's not like this resurrection happened in some secret place. This was a public victory. Christ, before the eyes of of all the world, displayed his power over death. Consider just a few pieces of evidence. You know, if you say, you know, this is is a great story. This is is an inspiring story. Of course, the resurrection lives on in our heart. It, it, It helps us to be better people. No, Jesus is saying, I actually did this. I actually rose from the dead. Wow, now that's, that's a pretty bold statement. How can we know that's true? Well, well, 
Think about this. People reported seeing the risen Lord. Over 500 witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, and we heard just a handful of them today. Eyewitness accounts that Jesus really did rise again on that third day. He even came before Thomas, showed him the pierced nails, showed, proved that it was really him. You say, well, yeah, that, those kinds of documents can be faked. Well, what about the lives that were radically changed by this public event? The apostles, the night before Christ came to them, were in the bonds of despair and depression. They said, it's done. It's over. And they were hiding away with locked doors out of fear of the Jews. But then, one day later, on the first day of the week, everything changed for them. And suddenly these same men were writing and saying, we will even go to the grave ourselves for this truth, for those three words, he is risen. And many of them did die for that truth. Would men willingly die for a lie? Well, there's a third proof of this public victory that Christ is that conqueror who stood over death and who now stands, and it is the empty tomb. Look no further than that. If this was just a myth, if it was just a legend, then all that had to be done was the officials just had to produce the body of Jesus. And yet they could not. They have not. History Channel will will try to tell you, oh, they, they found this or that. We think it might be his grave. No, all they had to do was open the door and say, there he is. And yet the tomb was empty. And so this was this public victory. But, but here's where Job's hope lies. Friends, this was just not a public victory. This was a shared victory. Because now this victory over the grave that the conqueror has won for you now comes to you. You have this victory right now over sin. Because Christ rose from the dead, you are freed from the power of sin over your life. Because of that resurrection power, you don't have to sin. You can say no to sin. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus one who is not defined by a life of constant rebellion against God, but one who has now been freed to live out this hope, this new identity, this risen identity. And now, even right now, you hold in your hands hope in desperate situations. When you look at your marriage and you say, this, this thing is dead. This thing is, is, is lifeless and hopeless. Jesus comes to you and says, no, because the power of my resurrection, I give you hope that as you look to me, I will give you the power and strength to live out your marriage as I have equipped you to. Jesus gives you 
hope to speak words of life to people when you say, I have no idea what I'm going to say. They just, they just told me something that is really heavy. But Job's hope goes further than that because you have this shared victory over the grave for eternity. Look beyond this present glory that you now have in your hands and look to the future where you have the promise of power over hell. That's what Jesus says. Remember in Revelation 1, I give, I have the keys over death and Hades. And so the sting of your sin, which is death, which is hell forever, has now been taken by the Savior who died that death, who took that punishment, so that now you have the promise not of hell after death, but of life after death. And you have a promise that reaches far beyond the grave. Listen to Jesus in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Friends, as you look to this Savior, even in the midst of darkness, reports of pandemics and suffering and hopeless situations, Jesus comes and says to you, I have conquered. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Friends, let this hope encourage you. Let this anthem be your own. So Job says, my redeemer lives. He says, my conqueror stands. Could there be a greater confession than this? Yes, there could. Because there's one final and glorious Easter confession that comes on Job's lips. And and this is the final point I want to make this morning. My eyes will see him. My redeemer lives. My conqueror stands and my eyes will see him. Because look at verse 26. Job says this, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Now, wait a minute, Job. Listen to yourself talking for a second. Maybe this is what his friend said. You look like death warmed over. And once you're six feet under in just a, just a few hours, just a few days, you're really going to look like death warmed over. But you're telling me that one day you're actually going to stand up in your grave, in your tomb, and you're going to walk out and you're going to see this redeemer who, by the way, who is this guy? And you're going to see him with your own eyes, Job? Yeah, that's what Job is saying. And once again, you say, that's incredible. Job is, exp- is expressing in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus, this hope in a literal resurrection of the body. And yet, it's right there in the text. Did you know that that's Job's hope? Did you know that, that that's your hope too, right now? Because Jesus lives your body will be raised. Now think about that for a moment. Your body just isn't a shell 
that you just discard at the end of your life. Your body matters to Jesus. Think about the bodies of your loved ones. Or you, you, you've, you've wept as you have put them in the ground and you say, you think about their bodies, bodies that you hugged and held. They matter to you. Well, in the same way, your body matters to Jesus and, and the bodies of your loved ones matter to Jesus. So much so that at that crowning moment where he vindicates you, not because of your innocence, but because of his righteousness, at that crowning moment, he restores your body. In the words of that old gospel song, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. When I hear the trumpet sound, gonna get up out of the ground, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Right? You say, I don't really want this body anymore. It creaks. It just goes from worst to worse. Stiff joints set in. Bones lose their marrow. My skin starts to wrinkle. My eyes are losing their focus. I remember I, when I was young, I like that body, but I don't like this body. And Jesus says, oh, I'll give you something even better. I will take that very body and I will transform it. It's a total reversal of death's decay. Right now, our bodies go from life to death, but there will come a day where our bodies go from death to life. When Jesus vindicates you in that world to come, he's going to reverse the trajectory of your frail form. You will go from weakness to power. Your body will go from dishonor to glory. And so listen to Philippians 3.21. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Your body will be raised. That's Job's hope. Your flesh will be transformed. That's Job's hope too. And your eyes will see your savior. That's ultimately where this leads. You're gonna see Jesus because this is what this is all leading up to. What's your greatest hope as you're sitting on the ash heap? What's your greatest hope? What's that promise that you can stake your life on when it feels like your very life is slipping through your fingers? It's that one day, body and soul reunited, you will look at Jesus. And with that power he's given you over death, you will see him and say, wow, that's my savior. That's my redeemer. 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Your redeemer lives. Your conqueror stands. Your eyes will see him. Do you believe that? Do you know that your Redeemer lives? Is this the confession on your lips? Because if you have not trusted in Christ, if you've not believed in this power of his resurrection, then I urge you to to trust in him this morning. I urge you to take these words spoken by Job and say, these are my own words too. And oh, that they may be inscribed in a book forever. Friends, if, if you know that your Redeemer lives, 
And you have that hope in, in, in the midst of darkness. You have that faith that only grows stronger when, when fire tries to snuff it out. If you have that hope, then you have a hope in a redeemer who is the greater Job. Jesus is the only truly innocent sufferer. He was sinless. He was innocent. And yet his friends betrayed him. His counselors mocked him. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so silent? Christ, the greater Job, endured these things so that Christ could be our true redeemer. He did all this to save us, to redeem us from our sin, from our suffering, from death and hell forever. Let's go to him now in prayer. Dear Lord, take this promise, this ancient promise, and make it our anthem this morning. May it be the song of our hearts and may it be our hope in dark circumstances. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen.